All right. <laughs> Mr. Sermon Bumper there, that's okay. Uh, man, let's give another round of applause for the worship ministry. Can we do that? Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you for leading us in worship uh, this morning. I greatly, uh, greatly appreciate that. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John. John chapter 15 is where we are going to be today um, as we are, we're concluding our January uh, sermon uh, series that we've simply titled uh, Open the Door in 24. And we've been in this series because as we've come into the new year, um, we all have open doors in front of us or opportunities that maybe God wants us to, to walk through or maybe there are some doors that, uh, that you don't need to walk through that you maybe need to shut, you need to close. But here at the beginning of the new year, we all have an opportunity to walk through certain doors. And in the first sermon, um, we talked about open the door um, to M&Ms, and I encourage you to eat, uh, have a daily diet of M&Ms. And everybody said, amen. You can eat chocolate, peanut M&Ms, caramel M&Ms, peanut butter M&Ms, or just plain M&Ms. How about the peanut butter ones? Amen. That's where we are. But what does the M&M stand for? It stands for scripture, memory, and meditation that we want you to, to memorize and meditate upon scripture. And so uh, what we have done is we as a church, we have begun a two, two and a half year journey in memorizing scripture. And for the next several, several months, we are going to learn two scriptures or memorize two scriptures. And so far for the month of January, you have been challenged to memorize 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 2.20. And we're asking you in your small groups that you would work on those. Uh, talk about them around uh, the dinner table as well. But we talked about M and M's. Well, in the second sermon, um, we talked about saying um, or open the door and say no to sin. And we talked about Cain and Abel. You all remember that story? And Cain and Abel. And God came to Cain and said this. He said, Cain, uh, sin is crouching at your door. And you need to take care of it. And you need to watch it, because if you don't take care of it, sin is going to do this to you. It is going to manhandle you, it is going to desire you, and it is going to destroy you. And so in that sermon, we just talked about how we need to say no to sin. And the reality is, we all sin and we all fail at certain times. Amen? But overall, we need to say no to sin. And for those of you um, who, who do sin, which is all of us, we can always go to the New Testament. When Jesus said this, when he said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? That's the glory of the gospel, that even though you sin, Jesus' grace, God's grace, is greater than any sin. Last week we had Andy Cook with Experience Israel with us last week. How many of you are here for that last week? It was fantastic. Um, I may do a little Andy Cook impersonation a little bit today as well, but I learned a lot in um, what he shared with us, and I was very, very thankful for him. Now today we are going to look at open the door to a fruitful life, and we're going to see that from John chapter 15. Now before we jump into that, let me tell you what's going to take place next week. 
Next Sunday, um, the first Sunday of February, um, I will be launching a brand new, well, it's not a brand new, we're actually getting back into the book of Acts is what we're doing. Because we can't stop where we are in the book of Acts. Isn't that right? We want to finish it, and hopefully by 2031, we will finish the book of Acts. You stay with me. Be patient. Hopefully by the end of May, maybe even a little bit into January, uh, to June, we will, uh, we'll, get through the, through, we'll get through the book of Acts. But also next Sunday, um, or next weekend, is Disciple Now for our student ministry. Uh, we have close to 100 students already registered for Disciple Now. And so, you want to be here, um, I tell you, if you want to find a seat in here, you better come early. Come early, because the students will all be right here in the front row. But, but anyways, today, I want to talk to you about Open the Door to a Fruitful Life from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And let's go to our text, and let's read it. And why don't we stand to our feet, and let's read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Follow along in your copy of God's Word, or on the screen behind me, or reading from the New American Standard Version, and it says, and these are the words of Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You may have a seat, and let's go to the Lord in prayer as you have a seat. Father, we come before you this morning, and I'm so thankful for the worship that took place today. And Father, as we have read your word and I have, and we have worshiped, Lord, I, I stand under the great conviction that, that, that I am a sinner and I so stand in the need of your grace and I'm so thankful that you died on the cross for our sins and that you defeated sins and I'm so thankful for that, Father. And Father, as we have read your word, I pray now that you would be pleased with what has taken place here this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, when I was growing up out in West Texas in La Mesa, believe it or not, in my backyard we had a wild grapevine that grew on a fence. A wild grapevine grew on a fence. Here's a picture of a grapevine. Maybe not. There it is. That is not in my backyard. I promise you that. That is not in my backyard. But there was a, a wild grapevine that grew up in the backyard, um, and uh, it, it produced grapes, but it was, the grapes were, were very tiny, and they were very bitter. 
But I remember playing in the backyard and always seeing uh, this uh, grapevine. But one day, that uh, grapevine, it, it, it bit the dust, and my dream of making a world-famous wine died when it died as well. I'm joking. <laughs> I did not want to make wine. But, but I've always remembered that grapevine. And in our text, our minds turn to a grapevine. And here's, here's another picture of, of a grapevine or a vineyard. Here's a picture of the world's largest grapevine. It's called the Grapevine. It was planted in 1768, over 250 years old. Uh, the base of the grapevine, the tree, is 13 inches wide, and the longest branch on that grapevine is 120 feet, which is about half of a football field. And the husband and wife take care of this grapevine so that it will produce fruit. They take time to prune it. They take time to bind it. They take time to get rid of all the things that would keep that grapevine from growing. And it's a full-time job for this couple in England to take care of the grapevine. Vine. Here's another picture of a grapevine, and this picture is a picture of the world's oldest grapevine, which is 400 years old. It has been around for a long, long time. And I bring our attention to the grapevines because this is exactly what our text does. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, and we just read his words, Jesus said these words, I am the vine. You are the branches. God is the gardener. And then Jesus tells us this, that you, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you are to produce fruit. As believers in Christ, we are to live a life that is fruitful, where we bear fruit. And in this text that we just read from John chapter 15, and give you a little background to this text, John 15 is in the middle of what theologians call the farewell discourse, meaning these are Jesus' last words before he is going to be betrayed, before he's arrested, before he's beaten, and before he's put on a cross and he's crucified. The farewell discourse actually begins in John chapter 13. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And in this discourse, Jesus gives his followers, and he gives to you and I as well, his last words which we want to hang on to. Now when Jesus begins his farewell discourse in John chapter 13, he's in a place that you are familiar with. It's called the upper room. And here's a picture of the upper room in Jerusalem. Uh, it's kind of hard to see it, but you know what takes place in the upper room from the story of Jesus and the gospel. We know that in the upper room that Jesus uh, takes off his outer cloak and he gets down on one knee and he does what to the disciples' feet? He, he washes them. And you remember what Peter says? He said, Peter, no, 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 no. I said, Jesus, don't just wash my feet. You wash all of me. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't even know what you're talking about. 
He said, let me wash your feet, and he tells the disciples, he says, what I'm doing, you do unto others. And we know this as well, that in the upper room, John 13, we see that, that Jesus then, he gives them the Lord's Supper, and, and grapes are involved in this, and some type of a wine taken from grapes is involved in this as it represents the blood of Jesus, which is about to be spilt here in just a couple of hours from John chapter 13. But at the end of chapter 13, John 13, something interesting happens. Do you remember the disciple by the name of Judas? Judas leaves. Do you know why Judas leaves? Because he's been full of, full of Satan. Satan has taken over him, and he's ready to go betray our Savior. Now the disciples, the other 11 disciples, had no idea what was going on. They thought, they thought Judas was going to go take care of something because he was always carrying a money bag. They had no idea what was going on. But from John chapter 13, we go to John chapter 14, which is still in the upper room. And here's a picture of the upper room. It's kind of not what you think it would look like, is it? This is where tradition holds that this is the upper room. And in John chapter 14, Jesus continues his farewell discourse. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says those famous words that many of you have already memorized. John 14, 6, which says this, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through me. But when you read the rest of John chapter 14, you see at the very end of that chapter, Jesus says something rather interesting to the disciples. Do you know what he says? He says, let's get up and let's leave. We need to go somewhere. Now question, this is the Passover night. This is the last night of Jesus's life. Where do you think Jesus is going to go? He's going to go to the garden of Gethsemane. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas is soon going to betray him and where Jesus is soon to be arrested. But here's what happens. Jesus does not get into the Garden of Gethsemane until John chapter 18. So John 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is sharing some mighty words with his disciples. And guess where he's sharing these words? All along the Kidron Valley is grapevines. It's vineyards, and Jesus gives to them this great visual about how they need to live a fruitful life. And so here's the first thing that I want you to see from this text, what we can take from John chapter 15, and these are the words that Jesus left with his disciples, and he leaves with us today. Number one, God has great expectation for his followers. God has great expectations for your followers. That's, come on, y'all, that's pretty good. <laughs> come on. I worked hard on that. I really did. Um, how many of you have heard the saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away? How many of you have heard that one? There's another one that says this, but if you throw fruit at people, they go away. So... Please don't throw fruit at me this uh, morning. But, but God has great expectations for his followers. Listen, God's plan for you is to be fruitful. Look at John 15, verse 1. We're going to spend some time here uh, this morning, this one verse. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. A better translation for vine dresser is the gardener. God is the one who prunes. God is the one who takes care of it. But Jesus is the true vine. But what I want you to see in this text is this. This is Jesus's last I am statements in the book of John. 
In the book of John, Jesus gives seven I am statements. Now, some of you may be familiar with the I am statements, um, but this term, I am, this actually comes all the way back from the book of Exodus when God gave Moses his name. Do you remember that story? Do you remember when God, when Moses is out in the wilderness and all of a sudden he turns and he sees a bush that is on fire, but that bush is not what? It's not, it's not burning. And what does Moses do? Moses walks over to this bush that isn't burning, and he, and, but it's got a fire, and he looks at this bush, and all of a sudden the bush, the bush speaks to him. And the voice, it's God's voice, says, Moses, take off your shoes for you're standing on what? You're standing on holy ground. And Moses takes off his shoes, and then, and then God says to Moses, he says, Moses, here's what I want to do with you. I want you to go back into Egypt where you fled from. You go back to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh, you tell the king, you tell him to let my people go. And then what does Moses say next? Do you remember what Moses says? He says, okay, but who do I tell them is sending me? Do you remember that? He says, who do I tell? They're going to ask me, where did you get this from? What do I share with them? And God said to Moses through the burning bush, he said this, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. And right there in that moment when God said, I am that I am, he gave Moses his name. God gave Moses his name, which is I am that I am. That's God's name, that, we, that, that our name for God, I am that I am, which translated comes to the word Yahweh. And this is where we get it from, Yahweh. Yahweh, which means I was, I am, and I will be. And from that moment on, in the book of Exodus, when God says, I am that I am, the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of Old Testament theology, the name of God is Yahweh. I am. That's who it is. But the Jewish uh, people thought this name was such a holy name that they couldn't even pronounce the name. So they added some, some, some vowels to it, and they came up with the name Jehovah. And so we have Yahweh and Jehovah, which means this is God. And here's what the Jewish uh, people believe, the, the scholars believe that, that Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, he alone is God. And if anybody, if anybody comes onto the scene and says, I am, I am Yahweh, that is blasphemy, and the penalty is death. That was for years, for years. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and what does Jesus say? I am. I am. And seven times in the book of John, Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here in chapter 15, verse 1, it's the last of the seven I am's. Jesus says, I am the true vine. 
Again, why is this important? Why are you going, Pastor, why are you talking about this? What, what does this have to do? Why is this important? Well, remember, we, we actually learned this from, from Andy Cook last week, and it was a great reminder for me, and it's a great reminder for us, that when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to a Jewish context. You remember that, right? And so there's some meaning in there that we may not as Gentiles fully understand. And, and as Andy reminded us last week, he reminded us that every Jewish boy, every Jewish girl went to a synagogue and they learned the Old Testament. Do you remember that? And they memorized Scripture. And they memorized and knew that God's name was I Am. So whenever Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I Am, all the Jewish people begin to perk up. Because this is either blasphemy or this is something completely different. And here in our text, the very last thing that Jesus is telling his disciples is this, you need to know this, I am God. I am. I'm God. But then he adds another phrase to it. It says, I am the true vine. Why in the world would Jesus say, I am the true vine? Vine. What is Jesus doing? Well, again, understanding the Jewish context, we understand, we need to understand something about the true vine. In Israel, in Israel, grapes were common everywhere. They were common everywhere, have always been central to Israel's uh, agriculture, have always been central to Israel's economy. As a matter of fact, uh, a grapevine was the emblem of Israel, much like probably a, a bald eagle would be for the United States, but the grapevine was a symbol of Israel. Even had uh, in the coins that uh, uh, the Jewish people used, there was a, there was a, a symbol of, of a grapevine on it. If you were to look at the temple uh, built on the Temple Mount, you would see that there was a grapevine etched into the temple, etched into the curtain. And in Jesus' day, according to Josephus, a great historian, outside uh, or the entrance into the temple was a huge gold vine. And so whenever you walked in, you were aware of a grape vine. And so the image of a vine is a big deal because it teaches some spiritual symbolism here. Because when you look at the Old Testament, which the Jewish people, the disciples would understand, a vine represented Israel's fruitfulness in doing God's work on earth. Now let me ask you a question. Did Israel do a good job with that? No, they didn't. Look at, look at Psalm chapter 80. Here it's on the screen. Psalm chapter 80, verse, verses uh, 1, 2, uh, verse, verse 8. Look at verse number 8. Go to Psalm 8, please. There you go, Psalm 80, verse 8. It says this. You removed a vine from Egypt, and you drove out the nations, and you planted it. Now what is, what is God saying here? God is saying about the nation Israel, I took you the vine... Israel, the vine, I took you out of Egypt and I planted you in the promised land. Meaning, God took a people from where they are and he took them to where he wanted them to be. And what God wanted them to be was to be fruitful and tell the nations about Yahweh. That's what he wanted. And he called Israel the vine. But did Israel do a good job with that? No. They didn't. Israel's history is pure rejection. It's pure hypocrisy. It's greed. It's sin. 
And later on in Psalm 80, verse 12, listen to what it says. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass that way pluck its fruit? What God is saying to the Israelites, listen, I took you. I called you by name. I called you from where you were. Remember, Egypt, being called out of Egypt means you are called out of sin. You're called out of slavery, and God is going to put you into a life of freedom and of fruitfulness and of grace and of mercy. But the Israelites said, no, we don't want Want that. And God says, why have you done that? Why have you rejected what I have done for you? Jeremiah, the great prophet, called the weeping prophet. In Jeremiah 2, he picks up this theme. In Jeremiah 2, verse 21, God said this, I planted you a choice vine. How and why did you turn against me? Do we see that in the life of Israel? Where they have turned against God, absolutely we have. So here, right here, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, the disciples, their minds are just blowing. Because they're going, man, I thought Israel, I thought Israel was the vine. I thought, I thought salvation was found in Israel. I thought protection was found in the nation. I thought, I, thought, I, I thought the way of truth, I thought the way of life was found through living what the law said. But Jesus says, I am God. I am the true vine, which means this. I'm the faithful one. I'm the one who is fruitful, not Israel. Meaning this, you cannot find salvation in your country. Which means, church, we're so excited about an election year this year. Amen? I mean, I mean, it's just the excitement and joy and laughter that fills all of our hearts when it comes to about this year's election. Amen? I mean, I'm ready for that. I can't wait for November to come. Are you? No. But church, listen to me. A Democrat or a Republican, we will find no salvation in either one of those. We will find no salvation in whether the Supreme Court is conservative or liberal. We will not find salvation in those things. We will not find salvation in building a wall, taking care of those who come in. We're not going to find salvation in those things. I believe we need to be wise in how we handle those things, not denying that. But the reality is salvation never has and never will come from the government. It never will. Salvation will never come from the fact that you are an American. We as Americans, we do not have this, uh, this right to Christianity. Because you grew up in a Christian home, because you're a member of a church, doesn't even mean that you can necessarily be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because that's not where salvation is found. And with Jesus, on the night that he's going to be betrayed, the night that he's going to be arrested, he looks at his disciples on the way to where he's going to be arrested, and he says this. He says, listen, I'm the true vine. If you want to find salvation, if you want to find hope, if you want to find grace, if you want to find mercy, if you want to find freedom from your sins, if you want deliverance from all the things that you're going through, you have to look to me because I'm the faithful one. I'm the trustworthy one. 
I'm the one who's about to pay the penalty of your sins. It will never be found. It will never be found in Israel. Now, does that mean that we're putting down the nation Israel? By no means. What it means is this. We put no faith in mankind. Because mankind, well, we're not very kind, are we? We can be rather brutal. Which is why scripture says this about Jesus, that he never put his hope into man. He always looked to the Father. Amen? Amen. Are you glad you're here this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, I want more grapes. (laughs) Thanks for encouraging me on that one. I appreciate it. Here, look at verse number two. Look at verse number two. Look at what Jesus says in verse number two. He has the disciples' attentions. He's had them for since John 13. Um, but, But look at verse number two. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He takes it away. Let me just stop right there. A lot of scholars have some disagreeing, disagreements on, um, on John 15, verse 2, especially that first part. Does that mean that every branch in Jesus that does not bear fruit, he takes away, he throws away and gets rid of them? Or does it mean that as a gardener uh, would do, if there's a branch that's not producing fruit, but it's still connected to the vine, what he would do is he would, he would uh, kind of wrap it and get it closer to the vine? Is that what he's talking about? Well, let me tell you what, what I believe. I believe here in verse number two that when Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I believe um, that what Jesus is talking about is a believer in Jesus Christ who is not producing fruit, and what the Father does is makes you get closer to the vine. He binds you up. Does that make sense? That's what I believe. You say, Pastor, why do you believe that? Well, if you look over at verse number six, in verse number six, jump over there real quick in verse number six. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, if you don't abide in Jesus, then what? You're not a believer, right? If you don't abide in Jesus, then you're thrown away as a branch and then you are burned. But in verse number two, he says, every branch in what? In me. So I believe that what Jesus is referencing here is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not producing fruit, we're going to talk about that fruit in just a second. But if you're not producing fruit, here's what the gardener is going to do. Gardener is God, Jesus the vine dresser. What he is going to do is this. He sees that you're connected to the branch. You are connected to Jesus, but there's no fruit on you. What is he going to do? He's going to take a piece of tape and he's going to wrap it around you so that you get closer to Jesus. Because what we're going to see is that the only way that you and I can produce fruit is one way. And that is this, we get close to Jesus. It's the only way. Well, that was for free, that was not in my notes. And everybody said thank you. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now watch this. And every branch that what? Bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes it 
so that it may bear more fruit. Here's what God the gardener does. If you don't bear fruit, but you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he takes some tape and he wraps it around you and around Jesus to get you close. But if you bear fruit, guess what he does to you? He cuts you. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> he prunes you. He cuts you back. And it hurts. Amen? It hurts. It hurts to be pruned. Especially when you think you're being fruitful. And all of a sudden, God brings out the, the clippers, the chainsaw, whatever. And he just begins to cut back. And you see part of you falling off. And you say, why? Why? And you cry, you hurt. You bang your head up against the floor on the wall, and God, I don't, I don't understand. But God, you're, you're hurting me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And Jesus says to his disciples, the reason my father does this, I can almost see Jesus smiling a little bit at this point. I can almost see Jesus smiling and say, the reason my father does this is so that you bear more fruit. Not to, not to hurt you. Not to damage you. but to make you more healthy so that you have uh, a greater opportunity so that you can expand and so that you can produce more fruit. I mean, you look in verse two, this is the way it works for a fruitful life. Jesus begins with saying, you don't bear fruit, then you bear fruit, and then you bear more fruit. There is a progression. You look at John chapter five, uh, 15, verse five, and Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So the progression for a believer in Jesus Christ, it goes like this. You don't bear fruit, fruits, more fruit, and much fruit. Do you see the progression? God's plan for you, God's great expectation for you is that you produce fruits. You are to produce fruits. God wants you to be productive. God doesn't, God doesn't want you to be really satisfied with this little fruit that you are giving. He wants you to have more fruits, which means you have to be willing to be pruned. I have to be willing to be pruned. You and I are never above any correction. Isn't that right? None of us are. None of us are perfect on this side of eternity. None of us are. We all stand in need of sanctification. And sanctification, sanctification comes so that you can produce more fruit. Amen? 
Here's the last thing, and then we're going to be done, and then we'll go drink some grape juice. (laughs) Here's the third thing. God's grape expectation is for you to produce fruit that lasts. God wants you to produce fruit that lasts. I want you to jump down in your notes in the Bible to John chapter 15, verse number 16. Look what he says. Jesus, again, still speaking to the disciples, he said this, you did not choose me, but I what? I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Okay, we got that, but what type of fruit? And that your fruit would what? It would remain. It would last. That the fruit uh, of you abiding in Christ, that it would continue on, which means, you know, listen, we're a multi-generational church. This church has been around for over 160, 170 years, and, and this is what God wants. God wants us to have fruit that continues on and on and on and on and on. He does not want you to be a flash in the pan. He doesn't want you to be just an overnight success and you fly up to the top and everybody talks about you, then boom, everything crashes. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. The idea is that you live a life, as Jesus said, where you abide in him, where you're stuck to Jesus, where you're close to Jesus. That was a really loud clap right there, sorry. Where you're so close to him We are so in touch with Jesus through a constant prayer life, through constant reading scripture, from uh, from memorizing and meditating upon scripture, and you so dive into the word, and you so get close to Jesus, that what comes out of you is a fruit that's going to last for all. And what Jesus simply asks you to do is just be consistent with Jesus. I've been, uh, I came across a quote the other day from uh, John Maxwell that has is, is really challenged me, and I've thought a lot about it. I've shared this with some of you, but the, the, but the quote is this, or the phrase is this, consistency compounds. Consistency compounds, meaning this, it takes time to achieve great success. It takes time, day after day, moment after moment, second after second, to create these great achievements. And many of us stop way too soon. Think about this. It took 26 months to build the Eiffel Tower. It took Da Vinci four years to paint the Mona Lisa. It took Michelangelo four years to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and get this, it took Noah 100 years to build the ark. Many of us stop short. We stop short in producing fruit because we fail to remain in Jesus. A lot of us in our spiritual life, and y'all, please know, I'm guilty of these things too. Too many times, I, I get impatient if the microwave popcorn takes too long. 
Are you with me? I'm there too. I, I missed the boat. I, I'm not always consistent. And there's times where I don't always abide in Christ. Which makes me so thankful for the grace and the mercy that Jesus offers. Because as Paul says, Paul said of himself, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Of all the things that Paul have said, there's, that's the one thing I disagree with him. I'm the chief of sinners. I am. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the one. But praise be to God. But praise be to God. He's willing to offer us forgiveness and mercy and grace. And he's able to restore. He's able to bind us back to the vine. So that you and I can produce fruit. God's got great expectations for you. Well, let me, let me close with this. What are the fruit that you've been, what, what's the fruit that, that we're talking about here? Y'all with me, y'all good? What, what's the fruit we're talking about? In the New Testament, there's really three, three types of fruits that the New Testament references that we need to be fruitful in. Not one time is it talking about prosperity gospel, but it's talking about this. The Bible talks about the fruits of repentance. You remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist came onto the scene and he was preaching a message of, of repentance and he said that, he said to the Pharisees, he says, you need to bring forth fruit of repentance, which means this, and church, hear me out. It means this, that we have to turn from our self-centeredness. You turn from your wicked ways. You turn from your eyes upon yourself, and you turn your focus upon God and God the Father. It's repentance. John the Baptist told the Pharisees, he said, this is one of the reasons why this got him killed. He said, I don't see the fruit of repentance in your life. He said, you say things with your mouth, but your heart is black. He says, you're playing the part, but you have not had a change in your heart. I don't see the change in the spirit, and I don't see any fruit of repentance. And so when Jesus says, be fruitful, it begins with repentance, which means you and I today, we've got to humble ourselves, confess our sins, turn from our wicked ways and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The second fruit that the Bible talks about is the fruit of the Spirit. You know this from Galatians chapter 5 when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He says that's your character. Are we seeing that godly character in your life? Are we seeing that fruit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit. And then here's the last thing. 
The last thing that the New Testament talks about being fruit is the fruit of you telling others about Jesus Christ. See, the goal of you coming to Jesus is, yes, saved from sin, saved for all eternity, but also saved to tell others. Isn't that right, church? And so there is to be fruit of you telling others about Jesus and helping them become a believer in Jesus Christ. Did you know that you are somebody else's fruit? Somebody told you about Jesus and you became a follower of Jesus Christ. Christians are to tell others about Jesus. When you look at what Jesus said in the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples. See, what we need to be, and this is our fruit, that we become a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. Are you being fruitful? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've spoken to me and how you have cut my own heart and have done some pruning in my own life. And I thank you for that. Father, I pray if there's somebody here this morning who has not, that there's no fruit of repentance. Father, I pray through the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you would bring an understanding and awareness of their sin an awareness of them being far from you. But I pray that they would also sense the Holy Spirit saying, draw near to me, turn from your wicked ways and draw near to me. If that's you this morning, would you just say a simple prayer? Say, Father, I'm so far away from you. Would you forgive me? Bind me to the vine and let me abide in you. And then follow him. Father, I pray for those in this room who may not be exhibiting the, uh, the characteristic traits of the fruit of the Spirit. Father, where we lack love, give us love. Where there's a lack of joy, give us joy and, and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Father, allow us to be more and more like you, Jesus, to be fruitful. And then, Father, I pray for us as a church that we would show the fruit of telling others about Jesus. Father, there's 90,000 people here in Glen County. Father, 90,000 need to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would do that, that we would tell others about Jesus and lead them to you. Father, have your way with us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.